A major problem with the fashion industry is that it is an incredibly deregulated industry. I mean, it's really like the Wild West. I think it's really important to remember that every single piece of clothing that all of us are wearing has been stitched by human beings. People are not being paid um, a living wage. The fashion industry ties into some of the biggest ecological issues that we are facing. I think we need quite a radical change in our global economic system to fix the fashion industry. The 1.5 degree limit is achievable. 1.5 within reach. So to keep that 1.5 goal in sight. 1.5 degree budget. Vital 1.5 degrees climate target. Как порог полутора градусов будет достигнут. А 1.5 degrees. The climate time bomb is ticking. Hello, you're listening to the Climate Podcast from 1.5 Degrees Down. I'm Julia Marisova, one of the co-founders, and today we're going to dive into the subject of sustainability in the fashion industry, or to be precise, the lack of thereof. While the global population of our planet has reached 8 billion people, we produce more than 100 billion items of clothing every year, most of which end up in the landfill within a year. The industry generates a huge amount of pollution, uses vast amounts of water, and raises serious issues of social justice. Today, you're in for a special treat as we record an interview with Tansy Hoskins, an award-winning author, journalist, independent researcher, and social justice campaigner. We are recording this interview at the Sands Films, in the middle of the iconic library, which contains thousands of rare and out-of-print books, magazines and photographs documenting the history of fashion. It also has an incredible collection of historic garments. Sense Films are famous for their expertise in period costume design and for this library, one of the largest of this kind in Europe. So it is both symbolic and ironic that we are talking about modern fashion in such a place. Tansy, could you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Okay, sure. So uh, my name is uh, Tansy Hoskins. I'm a journalist and the author of the anti-capitalist book of fashion and also Footwork, What Your Shoes Tell You About Globalization. Could you please tell us a bit more about your books? In 2014, I published Stitched Up, the Anti-Capitalist Book of Fashion, which is an award-winning critique of the, uh, of the fashion industry. And it looks at uh, production and consumption and body image and racism within the industry and the environment, and also like how things could be, uh, could be different. And then in 2020, I published Footwork, what your shoes tell you about globalization, which is very much premised on the fact that every single day we make 66 million pairs of shoes. And I wanted to just explore what is the impact of doing that? You know, what's the impact of that on planet and on people and on consumers as well? I mean, you know, really unhealthy levels of production and consumption. Recently, I was contracted to rewrite Stitched Up uh, and so that came out last year and as just the anti-capitalist book of fashion. There was a lot to update, but a lot, sadly, is still the same or, or even like getting worse as well. So that was a, an interesting book to, to rewrite. I think fashion has such a massive effect 
both on the planet and on the people who work in the industry, but also on every single one of us. You know, we're all subjected to this industry. You know, we're all told like that we're not good enough all the time and that we should be shopping all the time. And so I'm, I'm just really interested in kind of bringing that a bit more into focus and having those conversations with people and talking about like, yeah, how we could change things in the fashion industry and using fashion to illuminate some of the big structural political issues that, that we face in the world today. Thanks for the introduction to your books. We will provide the links to these books in the notes to the podcast and I encourage all our listeners to check them out. Tansi, I have seen from your articles in The Guardian that you put a major focus on the social impact of the fashion industry. You write a lot about the human rights and the working conditions of the government workers. Why do you think it is important to talk about it? So we live in a world where the clothes that we wear are respected more than the people who make the clothes that we wear. I think it's really important to remember that every single piece of clothing that all of us are wearing has been stitched by human beings. Um, and these are uh, people generally in the global south. Um, the vast majority of clothing and shoe production takes place in China. Um, other really important countries are Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, Indonesia, Myanmar. Uh, in Latin America, you have um, you know, Mexico, Guatemala, and in Eastern Europe as well, uh, Macedonia, Croatia, Bulgaria, lots of important garment producing hubs all, all around the world. And the similarity in all of these countries is that people are not being paid um, a living wage. So very often people are not even paid like a, a minimum wage, but they're certainly not paid a living wage. And what this means is that, first of all, people, are, you know, they're working to kind of try and meet their basic needs. So their you know, housing, education, food, care for their children and elderly parents. A lot of the time, like these needs are not met by the salaries that they're earning, you know, not even close. Um, the second thing it means is that people don't have the ability to save any money, uh, you know, to save for a rainy day or, you know, or for when things get really hard. Um, and, and that was something that we saw very clearly during the COVID pandemic, where, you know, literally millions of garment workers lost their jobs, either permanently or for uh, a short space of time. And, um, and, and there was, you know, there was just no backup that, you know, so I, into, I did lots of work during the pandemic, you know, I was interviewing people who lived on uh, rice, literally just rice sprinkled with salt. Uh, for like six weeks um, at a time. You know, 70% of garment workers went into debt during the pandemic. People were having to sell their basic sort of utilities at, at home, um, borrow money from relatives uh, or, or friends or from, you know, unscrupulous loan sharks. Um, the other thing that we see in the fashion industry is that there is not a allowed space for people to organize as trade unions to protect themselves. Uh, it's becoming an increasingly authoritarian space, you know, with um, uh, military coup in, in Myanmar, uh, the sort of increasing authoritarianism in Sri Lanka and Bangladesh. So it's becoming a really difficult place. Uh, in, in Guatemala, for example, there's only two factories in the whole country that have any kind of trade union um, presence. You see high levels of violence against trade unionists. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's really unfair. And I think 
a direct result of that is that there's also a lot of a lot of sort of day-to-day -day violence in the fashion industry you know we we sort of think of the industry as being like you know it's like this beautiful cake uh, you know it's got pink icing and ribbons and it looks all perfect but the minute you cut into that cake you see that like you know there's blood and oil and grit and it you know it's a, it's a really ugly place so there's very high rates of gender-based violence against uh, women working in factories by like male supervisors uh, and, and factory owners um, there's sort of day-to-day -day violence of people being like physically assaulted for not doing their work you know and I just think you know like here in in the UK like when you know when was the last time somebody ever like slapped you for just not doing your job perfectly like that just you know it wouldn't happen it's not acceptable but in these in garment factories like you know women are just slapped if they don't get their their work right and um you know terms of abuse are hurled at people in terms of sexual abuse so yeah a lot a lot of garment factories is just a, it's a pretty horrible place to work and yet you know it's it's often one of the only job options and so you have you know, women going to work and they'll work there for 40 years and then their daughters will go and have to work there for like another 40 years. And it's just it's just this endless cycle because it's not a job that was ever supposed to kind of raise people up out of poverty or raise countries up out of poverty. It's a it's a trap both for countries and, and those workers. Why do you think this is happening? Shouldn't that be a responsibility of the fashion brands to take control of the working conditions at their supply chains? So supply chains these days are really, really difficult for brands uh, to monitor. I mean, I personally believe that they should do a much better job at monitoring their supply chains and that a lot more money and a lot more resources should go into this. Um, but I do understand that they, are, they are, have become very complex. In the 1990s, there was a big change in how clothes and shoes are made. So, um, it, you know, it used to be that production would be a lot more localised. So, so in England, there were hundreds of clothing and, and shoe factories. But with the, you know, with the advent of globalisation, brands looked around the world and went, hey, you know, we could outsource this. We could get this made a lot cheaper, uh, you know, over in like the Far East, for example. And we wouldn't have to pay as much money and we wouldn't have all these kind of pesky environmental uh, regulations. So brands stopped being producers of clothes and became literally just brands uh, and all of the production was outsourced you know to like to China to Bangladesh uh, and and so on um, and even within China or Bangladesh you then have multiple tiers of factories so a brand might contract with like a tier one factory that it has like a working relationship with and maybe like that's the factory that gets inspected and that's where it gets data from but the tier one factory will be subcontracting a lot of like some of that work or bits of that work out to tier two factories again or you know it might they might be subcontracting to tier three factories and then some of the work might even be being subcontracted out to home workers. So to people who are literally just, you know, doing everything in their homes, like making electronics, stitching footballs together, making clothes or shoes, you know, stitching them together uh, in their homes and then giving it back to the factory, you know, or maybe they, they like, you know, glue on the sequins or on a shoe or like uh, stitch the embroidery on a blouse or something. And then it goes back up the chain. So for a brand 
uh, to be able to really monitor its supply chain, they have to, you know, they have to know everything about the tier one, tier two, tier three, and the home workers, uh, because with every garment hub, there is also a, a massive home worker hub everywhere, everywhere across the world, and um, yeah, it just it just makes it very difficult to monitor like exactly what's going on. Then, how do you see the solution to these problems? Hmm. How long have we got? No, so um, I think we need quite a radical change uh, in, in our global economic system to fix the fashion industry. I mean, the way I see the fashion industry is that it's part of uh, a global economic system whereby you have half the world, you know, the global south economies based on like export industry. So maybe they're exporting coffee or maybe they're exporting cotton or, you know, for like for Bangladesh, 80% of everything it exports is um, is garments, like 80% of the economy just goes to exporting uh, garments. And so I think we need quite a quite a radical change in that whereby economies are reoriented to be about what the people in those countries actually need rather than all of that labor and all of that material and all of that land being set up to service you know the global north so you know instead of all you know millions and millions of hours and millions of acres of land all just being dedicated to making clothes for H&M or Zara or like boohoo whatever like for it to be reorientated to be about you know public services and public health in Bangladesh and growing food uh, in in Sri Lanka and you know working out like what people actually need so it's quite yeah it's quite a big project which is why I think you know I think fashion is just this incredibly highly political uh, topic which is very very interlinked with um, questions like debt justice. Do you think big fashion brands are trying to address any of these problems? Or is it the role of the regulators to enforce social responsibility norms? Um, yeah, so let's look at what, yeah, what is, what is big fashion, what is big fashion doing? So a major problem with the fashion industry is that it is an incredibly deregulated industry. I mean, it's really like the Wild West out there um, and I think you can see that by the number of like random words that get printed onto labels uh, and, and then sewn into clothes so words like you know like eco and and like environmental and made with love and conscious and and things like this and and this is just a kind of made-up language that the the brands have created to fill a space where there should be uh, legislation and it's a language that's just kind of made to make people feel more comfortable about purchasing things. It's not a language that actually reflects any kind of environmental or social reality with the production um, of those clothes. So yeah, so fashion is very, very deregulated as an industry. There's now over 100 uh, voluntary non-binding certifications schemes that brands can sign up to. Um, to get their factories inspected or you know their supply chains uh, inspected and i'm afraid that the the consensus seems to be when you know that this system has completely failed the un for example is predicting that actually emissions from fashion are going to go up over the next uh, like the next sort of 5 to 10 years rather than down 
Um, most fashion brands that have been surveyed don't have any plan in place for like reducing water pollution. Um, certainly the waste cycle is not being addressed at all. But the good news is that um, courts across Europe and regulatory bodies across Europe are starting to crack down on some of this. So what we saw in the Netherlands recently uh, is that H&M and Decathlon have been told to stop using some of the words that they are using. So H&M likes to say that some of its clothes are conscious. Uh, it's, no, it's not allowed to do that anymore because it's been told that that's like misleading. Um, and, and the same with Decathlon, they, they had a phrase that they were using, eco something, I can't remember. And they've been told, you know, this does not like match what is going on with your products. You can't tell people that these are eco clothes when they are, when they're clearly not. So I think, yeah, I think we have a really big problem with big fashion. Um, I don't think that any of them are actually doing what needs to be done in order to address the climate crisis. Uh, or to you know, and to address the huge amounts of pollution that come out of the fashion industry every year. Where do you see the gaps in the current regulations for the fashion industry? So there is, I think there can be no doubt at this point that there is a very urgent need for global legislation which governs supply chains. What we've seen over the last sort of 30 years is brands basically being able to behave like the world is kind of the wild west uh, and being able to do whatever they want in this very very short-termist mindset where people don't matter and the planet doesn't matter um, and you know we, we we've seen we're seeing the consequences we're all living through the consequences of that so I think there, there has to be legislation that governs uh, the environmental impact of, of clothing, um, that governs what, like the end of life of clothing, um, and that governs um, a living wage in supply chains. I think that is like, like absolutely essential to, to changing the entire model um, of the fashion industry. I mean, in some senses, you'd think, okay, this would be really, really unpopular with the brands, but what sometimes happens is that in in private sometimes brands like the big brands are like actually would quite like a bit of legislation in order to make going forward a more level playing field because otherwise what you have is that anybody who maybe wants to take a step in treating their workers better or uh, treating the planet in a more healthy manner um, faces this situation where they are going to make themselves less competitive um, I'm not saying that that's uh, like that's a good enough reason not to do any of this. But if you at least have some legislation in place, then it means that there is a, a level playing field. So you know your your H and M's are facing you know the same conditions as Gap or Zara or you know or Boohoo and 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 so on. Um, we're starting to see you know France is currently bringing in like good good things around like around waste and and. Um, uh, and, and like product like liability and, and things like this. And I really hope that that will, will spread. Tansi, earlier you mentioned the rise in the greenhouse gas emissions and pollution from the fashion industry. And some people might be surprised that the industry generates more emissions than airline and shipping industry combined. In fact, the United Nations Environment Programme estimated that um, the fashion industry is responsible for 10% of annual global emissions. 
McKinsey estimated that 70% of these emissions come from the upstream activities, mainly because of the energy-intensive raw materials productions and processing. And the remaining 30% are generated by downstream activities such as transport, packaging, retail operations, usage and end of use. But the impact of fashion on the environment is so much more than just greenhouse gas emissions. Could you give us a few examples of the environmental and ecological impact of the industry? Yeah, and the, the, the fashion industry also ties into some of the, like the biggest ecological issues that we are facing at the moment. So, for example, not many people know that the number one cause of deforestation in the Amazon rainforest is cattle farming. And, you know, this is cattle for meat, for their bones and also for their skin. And 50% of everything that's made out of animal skin, out of leather, is shoes. So, you know, all of our shoes are intimately tied to the destruction of the lungs um, of the world. So fashion also contributes to biodiversity loss um, around the world. We have this system of, you know, export economies uh, really intensively farming the land and, you know, and heaping pesticides onto the land to produce. You know, the, the key one for the fashion industry is the cotton crop you know, out of like Pakistan and, and India and, you know, the United States of America and Uzbekistan uh, and, and so on, where the land is just so intensively farmed that it's, you know, it's really, really being destroyed. And cotton is an incredibly thirsty plant as well. Um, so water sources are being diverted. I mean, uh, with, with Uzbekistan, the Aral Sea has pretty much dried up. If, you know, there's really interesting footage from NASA where you can see the sea shrinking and shrinking and shrinking from being the world's largest uh, inland lake to now just being a, a, a desert. Uh, and this is for this, like, you know, this greedy need for cotton. Uh, which doesn't really benefit anybody except for you know the people who've become extremely rich off producing leggings and t-shirts and um, socks and 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 so on. Tansi, you also mentioned the problem of garment pollution. Why do you think this is such a difficult problem to address? Why is recycling of shoes and clothes so difficult? Uh, yeah, let's take like a quick look at the shoe industry because I think this is like the perfect illustration of why we are creating so much waste and why it's so difficult to deal with. So the first problem is the amount of shoes that are being made. So every single day in 2019, 66.6 .6 million pairs of shoes were made. Not every month or every week, but every single day, this enormous mountain uh, of shoes was constructed. And... Um, the second thing that makes it really difficult to recycle a shoe and to deal with this amount of waste is that shoes are made from like a, about a dozen different component parts, each of which is like a different material. So you've got cotton, you've got leather, you've got different types of foam, plastic, um, you've got metal in the eyelets of the shoe. And then all of these weird different materials are then really tightly bonded together. So they're often like glued uh, together or bonded together. 
which means when you come to want to dismantle a shoe in order to uh, to recycle it, it's really difficult. Um, and and you know, and there's so there's loads of uh, there's loads of sort of research being done into this at the moment because obviously you're not talking about oh, how can I sit down and recycle one shoe in a day? It's like, how do we dismantle 66 million pairs of shoes? There's a process called fragmentation, followed by uh, post-fragmentation separation, which basically means that you have to shred the shoe down into pieces, and then different, um, different techniques are used to separate all the different materials out. And so then you've got a clean waste stream in which you can then just you know, recycle the cotton or the plastic or the metal. But I know that certainly a lot of scientists who work in this area would really dearly like metal not to be used in shoes anymore. Um, either in, in like as plates or as eyelets and stuff, because that is one thing that makes it really, really difficult. So yeah, it's a very energy intensive process to shred all of these shoes. And also these are very low value objects. Like this is not like a circuit board in a computer where you, you know, you might have some gold or some copper or something. Like this is like old bits of cotton and, and leather and stuff. So what you're ending up with at the end is not sort of traditionally thought of as high value. So it's a, it's a very complex, very difficult uh, bit of the supply chain, which could really, really do with ma massive investment from from shoe brands. You know, they, don't, they shouldn't just wash their hands of, of these shoes once they've sold them. Uh, they should be right there, like doing the research in, in how we're going to deal with all these shoes. Would you say that circularity is still a new concept in the fashion industry? I think the ab Oh, it's just like there's just no circularity sort of being built into any of this. It would be a dramatic improvement if the fashion industry could put circularity at the heart of what it's producing. So to be thinking about that end moment when the consumer you know, is tired of their jeans or their shoes don't fit. And then, you know, they put them, they go to put them in the bin or give them to a charity shop or something. Um, it's at, it's at that point that we need like a massive structural intervention. You know, if, if we had more sense, we would be like taking these old jeans and if necessary, just kind of chopping them up and, and making new jeans out of that existing fabric. Uh, you know, and, and, and changing what we think of as, as beautiful and, and embracing the kind of patchwork nature of clothes that, that that would bring. But that's not what brands want. Like they want sort of perfect cotton, like perfect new fabric uh, to work with. So that, you know, so that's why like this stuff is considered waste when it's really, it's not waste. Like it's this perfectly good fabric. Tensei, I know that quite a few companies are working to develop various solutions, looking at different recycling technologies and even producing new materials, which potentially could reduce carbon emissions and waste. Could you tell us more about that? Um, well, one of the things that, that I am genuinely excited about and I think is a big part of the future uh, is looking at like alternative materials that could be used to make day-to-day -day objects and in particular like in the within the shoe industry there's some really interesting things happening where people are trying to replace leather so leather from from animals uh, people are looking uh, at creating like mushroom leather 
which is just exquisite. It's like, it's really soft, but it's also really strong. It's very, very beautiful, very tactile uh, material. People are also making apple leather and tea leather. Uh, people are making shoes out of like recycled plastic bottles from the oceans, uh, from seaweeds, also from cork, like sustainable cork. So I think there are like important moves being made to create these objects much more sustainably uh, and to make objects that are much more long-lasting as well and with a more uh, a more sort of modular design so that if one bit of the shoe wears out you don't have to trash the whole shoe you can just replace like one bit so yeah there are really really interesting things there's a few companies also at the moment who are making shoes out of rubbish so they are like they're taking you know taking multiple pairs of shoes and then taking the good bits out of those shoes and stitching them all together. Uh, and you're seeing some quite high-end brands now doing that, which I think is like, is really, yeah, it's really exciting and, and something that it will be a part of the, of the future. The last question I wanted to ask is about what we as consumers could do to make fashion more sustainable. I think more and more people are now realizing that um, our addiction to new clothes and shoes is truly damaging. And I can see that in the generation of my daughter and her friends. They don't respect fast fashion. They prefer shopping for so-called pre-loved clothes. But it feels like this is just a drop in the ocean. Do you think that we as individuals have any influence on the current state of the fashion industry, given the scale and seriousness of the problems we face. There certainly is a lot that, you know, your, your average person on, on the street can do. I think it's really important to remember that 80, roughly 80% 80 of the impact of a garment comes from the production side of it. So we must keep the focus on the CEOs and the boardrooms and make sure that the sourcing decisions that they are making are sustainable and are environmentally friendly. But that said, you know, there's still this 20% of what happens to a garment that has, you know, that people can think about and people can, um, can act upon. I think the fashion industry is going to go through a big change in the next sort of 10 to 20 years. We cannot keep producing and consuming on, on the levels that we are. Like it is utterly, utterly unsustainable. So, yeah, I think there are, I think it now is the time where it's, it's probably a good idea for people to reset their relationship with consumerism, you know, and to think about like whether they need to buy and buy and buy and buy more and more and more and more things. Um, you know, one study that I read recently said, um, limit yourself to buying like five new garments a year. You know, other people are saying that they're going to like completely stop shopping and they don't, you know, they don't want to be part of the cycle um, at all. Um, I think a really lovely thing is to maybe try and like swap more, like swap your clothes with your like your friends or your colleagues or your family so that, you know, if you are, I don't know, you're going to a, a wedding and you want to wear a new dress to that wedding, you don't necessarily go out and buy a new dress. Um, but you could, you know, you maybe borrow one from your friend uh, and then you lend them something in return uh, and stuff like that. And kind of setting up swap shops and free shops in your local community. I think probably not reading fashion magazines is like a major thing you can do to reset your relationship with the fashion industry and, you know, and, and, and consumerism. Uh, not buying into this nonsense that we need to buy more clothes all the time and that what you have is somehow not good enough 
or and that your you and your body are somehow not good enough. Um, you know, it's important to remember that that has been made up by somebody who wants to make money off you. And so, yeah, the, as much as you can do to kind of reject that, I think is 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 a really good thing. But also, like I think the most important thing is probably to to get involved with some of the uh, the campaigns around the fashion industry. You know, if that's what people are interested in, uh, you know, to to try and support garment workers in Sri Lanka or Bangladesh. You know, when they go out on strike, uh, trying to pressurise brands in this country. You know, using social media and things like that, uh, or joining in like with the environmental campaigns. Like, there's so much like for for people to do at, at this point in time. And it really takes all of us doing everything, you know, wh whatever our skill set are, like, you know, whether you, you like writing or art or filming or, you know, or like anything that you like doing, you know, whether you're a lawyer or like a financial expert or whatever, like there's so much stuff. I and mean, it's really going to take everybody's skills to, like, to turn all of this around. I also ask all my guest speakers about their own habits in sustainable living, which go beyond their work. Is there anything specific that you do in your personal life to make the world a better place? Yeah, so I mean, in, I mean, for me in my personal life, like I buy clothes secondhand almost exclusively. I think I've bought maybe like, yeah, one or two things over the last couple of years. I am a vegan, so I don't consume any meat or dairy products or eggs. Um, I don't, I don't fly and I don't drive, you know. And I, I've got like a, I'm with, I bank with a, a, a ethical bank, like I bank with Triodos um, and stuff. So you know, I try to do like I try to do these things, but I'm also very aware that like while that individual change is important and actually to be honest with you makes your life a lot better um, I think it's also really important to remember that we also have to tackle the big political the big structural things so I think while it's important to remember that while these kind of individual things are really important and to be honest for me like they make my life a lot better a lot more enjoyable um, I also think we have to remember that we've got to tackle the big political problems you know we've got to be involved in the political process got to be like lobbying our MPs and getting these like this legislation in place and um, and like badgering the brands uh, as well and really holding them to account so that they can't just do whatever the hell they like to you know to people and, and to the planet which is yeah which is what they're doing now thank you very much Tansy this was an interview with Tansy Hoskins, recorded for the upcoming training course on sustainability in the fashion industry. We will publish this course by the end of April and we will provide the link to the course at the notes of the podcast. In the meantime, I would like to remind to our listeners that for our climate community, we also organize a series of webinars. Fashion industry has been chosen as the focus topic for this month, April. So we are inviting you to attend our next free event on the 11th of April, where we invited Dr. Dina Halifa from the Cambridge Institute for Sustainable Leadership to talk about the role of luxury brand marketing in fostering social inclusion. You can find the registration link in the notes to the podcast. Thank you very much for your attention. This was a production of 1.5 Degrees Down. You can join our climate community at the link provided in the description of the podcast. 
This episode was produced by Julia Marisova from Shortlisted Productions.